This is Chris from Play Comics, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 106, The Full Monty Movie Review. I'm Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers. You'll find us on Twitter at McBrien or at Amaron underscore DM. This is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Our website is popgoesyourworld.com. And if you listen to us on the new Apple podcast, no longer iTunes, Apple podcast, make sure you leave us a review over there. Derek, how are you, my friend? Doing well, Chris. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm talking with my one of my best buds about movies, so what could be better? Yeah, it's a good night all around. And uh, since last we spoke, uh, my beloved Boston Bruins are doing well in the Stanley Cup Championship Finals. It's tied 2-2 with the St. Louis Blues for the series right now. So uh, now it's down to a best two out of three. By the, by the time we record our next podcast, the Stanley Cup will have been awarded to one of these two teams. And I'm really hoping it's my team. Yeah, I guess so. You got some money riding on the, the final too, don't you? Well, I mean, I always put a few bucks down on my team at the start of the year, and uh, I'm doing pretty good in my uh, my work hockey pool. So I'll see a few dollars coming my way either uh, either way, regardless of the outcome. But if the Bruins uh, pull it off, I will see a lot of money. If the Bruins don't pull it off, I will just see a, a little bit of walking around money. And it's funny that you mentioned hockey pool because I think I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before. That's where you and I first met. We actually first met like, geez, like 25 years ago uh, through fantasy sports by doing hockey yep. pools and baseball and stuff like that. So uh, it's pretty cool. That's one thing that ties us all together in this little world here is, is seems to be fantasy sports. Me, you, Yancey, uh, Nate from last week and, you know, Justin before that. So it's so funny. Uh, anything uh, going on? And you like to take some vacation time coming up? What, what's going on? Yeah. So uh, as we've mentioned, uh, we, we, we missed a week because we had some things going on. And then uh, we're going to take next week off as well because I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going to the Origins Game Fair. Uh, what that is, uh, almost every weekend across Canada and the U.S., there are some forms of gaming conventions. These are conventions for board games, video games, role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I was at one recently in the Toronto area called uh, Anime North, and it was focusing on like uh, anime comics and, and Japanese animation and movies. And But again, these these cons for, uh, for fans often have uh, gaming areas. So like Anime North is not a gaming convention, but there was a, a Dungeons and Dragons section I went to. And so Origins is... Uh, primarily a game convention. It's one of the big ones that they run every year. And I actually went last year for the very first time. Before that, I had been going to a different gaming convention called Gen Con. And uh, I just decided to change it up. And I had a really good time at Origins. So I'm going to go again this year. And uh, yeah, I'm going to get my game on, get my nerd on, and uh, play a whole <laughs> bunch of new board games that I've uh, never tried before. Try and uh, spend some time in the vendor area and get a, a sneak peek at what's coming out in the next year. And, uh, and of course, play a few games of Dungeons & Dragons while I'm there. Well, so, of course. Yeah. You should also take uh, Escape from the Death Star and see if anyone will play it with you there. That's not a bad plan, actually. We were planning to bring a couple of games because... Uh, in the evenings, people don't usually uh, have firm plans. You never know what's going to happen. But often you'll just go down to the lobby or hotel, 
uh, sit at one of the tables, open up a game, and then people walk by and go, oh, what's this? And you go, well, come on, sit down. I'll teach it to you. And that's that's part of the fun of these conventions is total. you meet total strangers who have this shared love of these games. And I, some of the games that I love the most were ones that I just randomly learned while I was at a con where I was walking by. And I said, oh, that looks neat. And they're like, hey, sit down. Or, hey, we're almost done. But if you want to watch, we'll explain how it works. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a good time. So I'm really looking forward to it. It's in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, nice, nice. It's and a little then, bit of a road trip for us. Well, that'll, that'll be all right. And, uh, and you take that retro game, and I'm sure you make lots of friends doing that. Uh, recently, Indeed. my son turned 10. So he turns 10 and then my wife says to him, what do you want to do for your birthday? He, he had like a birthday party and we, that was great. You know, we had his friends over, we did all that stuff. And then my wife said, like, is there one thing that you want to do, you know, special? And she said, I'll do something special with you. Cause I, I usually do a lot of things with my sons. Right. And so my wife was like, I want to do something special with you. What do you want? And he's like, I want to go see Avengers Endgame." So she took him to go see it. It was so funny because if it wasn't for you, we would have never watched any of the uh, MCU movies. Now, the only one that we've seen so far going into this was Iron Man because you asked us to watch it for this podcast. So we watched Iron Man and we, we you know, as I mentioned on the, the previous podcast uh, a couple weeks ago, we, we really liked it. We enjoyed it. So they went to see Avengers Endgame. And I just thought it was funny because we've seen the first one and now they go right to the last one. They missed all the ones in between. They missed like 20 movies, you know, <laughs> but uh, but they really enjoyed it. So they said it was good. Uh, is it worth them going back and watching all the ones in between now that they've seen the first and last? What do you think? Or is everything well, just going to be say, ruined? No, no, no. Uh, so definitely, I think if uh, if your son's enjoying them, uh, it's worth it for him to go back. Uh, maybe he doesn't have to watch every single one, but I think he'd really enjoy them. Uh, I, I, I'm a little bit uh, bummed out for them that they, they went and saw Endgame without seeing Infinity War because the two movies basically are one long five-hour movie that they they literally just cut in half so what they saw was really act two of a two-act play and without seeing act one which had this like huge surprise cliffhanger ending um they've just sort of jumped right in so when they do go back i'm sure your son for sure will go back and watch uh the previous avengers movie the end i don't think will have that that strong an impact on them because Having seen the one that comes next, he sort of knows where it's going. But still, I mean, he's young. And uh, I remember being a youngster and seeing movies and, and forgetting important details and then seeing them many years later and, and experiencing them as if it was the first time all over again. So, Well, I figure now that he's 10 years old, I'm really trying to convince my wife that, that I should let him watch Jaws. Uh, I don't know, man. Well, you, yours, Dad. You decide. Yeah. You, do you think it's uh, he's still too young? I watched it when I was seven. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, and. Well, it's not like you live on a. It's not like you live on the coast, right? Where it's like, hey, every week he goes down to the beach. So. <laughs> exactly. Let's go down to the ocean and go swimming. No way, Dad. Uh, no, yeah. yeah, that doesn't happen. We, you know, we're we're in, we live in Ontario. You know, north of Toronto, there's no water around here. We've got. Well, we do have a lake. We have Lake Simcoe. Yeah, tons of lakes up there. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a big lake. We go swimming in there, but you know, it's fresh water. There's no sharks in there. Maybe I'll take him to see piranha. And then he won't go in there either. <laughs> so there'll be that. So anyway. Uh, okay. So on that note, why, what do you say we get started into our movie? This Absolutely. Week? Let's do All this. All right. Here we go. I mean, we love him. We hate him. We agree. We disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question! 
Okay, so it was your turn to nominate a film, and you went back quite a few years, which is something you were not sort of want to do. You usually stick to the newer stuff, but you went all the way back to 1997. And it's so funny that I say all the way back to 1997, because for me, that feels like it was just like a couple of years ago. And it's definitely newer movies that I'm used to watching. But you went back to 1997 and you suggested that we watch The Full Monty. And I will just full confession before we get into this. I'd never seen the movie before. But the one thing is, is that I did one time see a stage version of it. I did see a play at Stage West in Mississauga before we got married. My wife and I went with some other friends, uh, including Brian Longmire, who does the uh, drops on this show. He's the uh, morning guy at 98 The Beach. But uh, yeah, so we went to see a play version of it. So I did have an, a bit of an idea kind of what it was about uh, going into it. But do you want to maybe start us off? Like, why did you nominate this, this movie? It, it seemed like a strange pick for you to nominate based on some of the other films that you've dominated for the podcast so far. So do you want to maybe just tell us a bit about why you picked it and then we'll kind of pick it apart from there? Sure. Uh, so as uh, as I mentioned, when I uh, suggested this movie, it uh, was released in 1997 and it was one of the five movies nominated for Best Picture, uh, it, you know, the following year, 1998. Uh, it ultimately lost to Titanic, but... I think that the fact that it was recognized and nominated for Best Picture speaks to the quality of what's on the screen. And it is definitely not a movie that has the same production values as something like Titanic. But then again, not a lot of movies are. Um, but it, it, it has a lot of decent um, uh, replay value, I find. I, like I've seen the movie at least 20 times, I think. And I watch it when it comes on cable and I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll jump into it halfway through. Sorry, um, you've seen this movie 20 times? At least. Wow. Maybe not in its entirety right. every time. Like you turn it on, you're like, oh, right. it's at the halfway but point. But pieces of it like, here and there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think probably okay. start to finish a dozen times is probably fair. Like when it first came out uh, on video, because uh, I didn't see it in the theater, it had a very uh, limited North American theatrical release, but... I uh, I had heard about it. I had read about it. I mean, this was before the internet, so it's not like you could just go online and watch a trailer. And um, so when it came out on video, I made a point of watching it right away. I was still working at Blockbuster at the time. So when it actually was released, I was one of the managers. So I had access to the video prior to its street date. So I actually got to watch it a week early, which was nice. One of the nice little perks about working at the video store. And yeah, I just, I fell in love with it right away. I thought it was... Uh, well acted. I thought it was a good story. I thought, uh, you know, it, it's, it has this good message at heart, uh, you know, and, uh, no, it's just one of these ones that I, I, I've, I've enjoyed over time and, uh, and my wife, uh, really enjoys it as well. So we've watched it together many occasions, uh, for those who maybe haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while in a nutshell, it's, uh, it takes place in, I want to say, is it Sheffield, England? I believe. Yes, it's in uh, Sheffield. That's correct. Yeah. So this was an industrial town that years ago was quite prosperous. And then, you know, a generation later, the industry has moved on and the town, it's like when you get a, a mill town and the mill closes down and like there's no other industry going on. That's the idea. And so you've got all these people in the town that used to work at the plants, but the plants aren't running anymore. So they're all out of work and they, you know, they, they don't really have a lot to do. They're, they're down on their luck. There's not a lot of jobs and the jobs they have are the minimum wage retail jobs, which after you've worked a factory job for a long time, that's a big step backwards. Uh, and a lot of people in a lot of the characters in the movie were unwilling to swallow their pride. They would rather hold out for something that, that paid better. 
And uh, so you have these uh, four or five guys who, uh, at the beginning of the movie, the uh, the women in the town go to the local pub to see the Chippendales dancers, the uh, the male strippers. And so the local guys get a little jealous. And they're like, well, what do they have that we don't? And they're like, well, you know, they got muscles and they can dance. And, you know, there's a lot of things that they have that you don't. Uh, but they get the idea of, well, what if we what if we do something like that and we get, you know, just six average looking guys that are going to do the similar thing, except the Chippendales guys don't take off their pants. We'll go the whole way. We'll get totally naked. We'll show them, quote, the full Monty. One night only, the full Monty. And, uh, you know, at first there's some reluctance by the other guys. They're like, that's a crazy idea. And they're like, yeah, but if we sell this many tickets at this much, yeah, sure, people might point and laugh and make fun of us. But when we've got a few bucks in our pocket, you know, you can stand a lot taller and you can put up to a lot more scrutiny. And in a time when these guys don't have two, two pennies to rub together, you know, it's, it's a potential prospect where they can make a lot of money in a very short period of time. And, uh, and then it's, of course, the shenanigans that, uh, that happen as they try to uh, recruit some dancers, uh, and I use that term loosely, uh, and learn their moves. And the one guy, uh, is, his wife's left him, and so he's fighting for custody of his kid. And another guy hasn't told his wife he's lost his job. And so the wife still is spending money, assuming there's a paycheck coming in. So, I mean, they all sort of have their, their ups and downs, sort of uh, more real-life type of problems. Uh, like, the characters aren't movie star pretty. Uh, you know, the guys are clearly, they don't have the best bodies. Like, one guy's out of shape. Like, well, they're all out of shape. But, like, you have one guy who's overweight. And you have one guy who's, like, this really tall, skinny uh, guy. And then you have, like, an older guy. And, you you know, it's, it's again, they're very, they're very average. Like, you can watch the movie and you can pretty much relate to at least one of these main guys. Oh, yeah, that's sort of like me. Or, oh, yeah, I can see myself in that, that guy's shoes. And I, th- I think that's part of the appeal of the movie to me is it's it's this uh, sort of everyman idea. How do they overcome this problem? Well, they, they come up with this outrageous idea and they make it work. And uh, and it's a sweet, charming movie where at the end all the men take off their clothes. So, OK, so <laughs> lots for me to unpack here. No pun intended. Yes. <laughs> so you, you suggested I watch the full Monty. So I went searching on Netflix for the title and I searched the word Monty and I came across Monty Python's Meaning of Life. And I was like, oh, I should probably watch this instead. <laughs> and and uh, I just want to start out uh, by saying that I am in no way a prude, right? Like I have no problem with the idea of male strippers in a movie. I'm, I'm probably not going to run out and see Magic Mike anytime soon, but I'm in no way put off by the content, like especially here, because... This is a quote-unquote comedy about average guys, like you said, starting up a male strip show to make money. So please keep in mind the framework that I'm very liberal-minded. I have no issues with the content of this movie. Caveman, this movie was awful. Oh, It could have been so good, too. Such a great concept that could have been mined for laughs. And for me, it could have had such a big heart behind it all. But it failed in every one of those areas. Every single one for me. Okay. So it's supposed to be a comedy, right? I'm assuming. Yes. Right? Well, I mean, yeah, it definitely has humorous parts. There wasn't. I would say it's more of a drama with funny parts. Like, I don't think it was billed as a ha-ha laugh out loud comedy. Okay, fair enough. For me, there wasn't a single funny moment in the movie. Not one. And I think a lot of the issues that I have with this movie stems from the fact that the protagonist, what's his name, Gaz? Or something uh, Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Yeah, Robert Carlyle. Yeah. 
Probably the least sympathetic, most repulsive leading character I have ever seen in a movie in quite some time. But we'll get to that in a bit. I want to just stick a pin in that and come back to it. Like, they make the kids sit there and watch the whole thing, the auditions, this is supposed to be funny? Like, is this a comedy? Please tell me where where the humor is in this. I, I mean, I thought I laughed a lot of different parts. Like, so you talked about one of the scenes where they're rehearsing and the kids there, like when the, when the one guy brings in his aunt and his cousin and they're doing their dress rehearsal and, uh, and they're all embarrassed to be dancing in front of the grandma. And then they get, they end up getting busted. Uh, like that scene to me, I laughed my butt off or even the auditions when they got the different guys coming in and the one guy like practically starts crying and he's like, I'm not as hard up as you guys. I can't do this. And then the next guy comes in and, and Gerald's hiding behind the newspaper. He's like, I know that guy. I can't let him see me. Like just the whole, uh, the montage of them auditioning these guys. Uh, like I thought that was hilarious. They have the guy come in and he goes, uh, you know, you can't sing. No, you can't dance. No. Well, uh, I hope you don't mind me asking, but like, what do you, what can you bring to this party? And then he drops his drawers and they're all just like, Oh my God. Like, I thought that was hilarious. Uh, so there are some things that I liked about the movie and I'll start with that. They, and, and you touch base on it. They look like normal people. Yeah. That I like. And I made that point, you know, lots of times on this podcast where uh, movies that are made sort of nowadays, you know, as I say, you, you kids today on your movies, um, a lot of movies now, like they seem, it's all beautiful people, but at least in this movie, they look normal. Like, I mean, they're British. They got bad teeth, uh, except maybe the ex-wife. She was really pretty. She looked like Jennifer Lawrence, I thought. Maybe like the British Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence with bad teeth. I don't know. But anyway, she was really pretty. So she stood out like a sore thumb. But, you know, that this is where the movie had promise, I think. The fact that it was a bunch of normal-looking guys trying to do this. It wasn't Magic Mike. You know, there wasn't all these, like, you know, good-looking, hunky guys doing this. It was There was so much promise, but it all fell flat. And for me, it basically all starts and ends with Robert Carlyle's character. He is completely unsympathetic in every way possible. It's like the writers got together and said, hey, let's write a movie about a guy that audiences will hate. We'll make him be a thief. And he puts his child in danger by bringing him along when he breaks into this warehouse stealing stuff. He doesn't pay his child support. He's an ex-con. He swears like a drunken sailor in front of his kid. He smokes. You know, he he encourages his friend to shoplift that VHS tape from the store. And then yeah. his friend gets a job as a security guard. What does he do? He berates him. What are you doing getting a job? And then he steals a suit jacket from the store. His boss goes to get an interview and he hijacks the interview. He basically ruins like any chance this guy has to get his life in order. And then he, the scene when he needs money to start up the strip show. So his ex-wife even says to him, you know what? I'll give you a job. You can get a job in the packing section. And he turns it down because he's so freaking lazy and he's such a bum. He turns it down. And what does he do instead to get the money? He talks his kid into giving him the money that he's got saved in his piggy bank. How the hell am I supposed to root for this guy? How? Please tell well, I me. Think, I think so. I think some of the things that you brought up are are excellent examples of why he's a deadbeat dad and he's he's not a positive role model. But I think some of the things you talked about are are examples of the desperate situation that these guys are in. The fact that like I certainly got the sense that this change that's happened has happened rather quickly. It's not just, you know, over time it's been this slow trickle. It's I like I got the sense it was like 6 months to a year before this, they all had good jobs in the factory. And and then like overnight, the factory closed down and they're all like, oh, what the hell are we supposed to do now? And so I think that a lot of the 
situations in this movie. And I think a lot of the comedy comes from the fact that they're willing to do things outside of their comfort zone, things they would not normally do under normal circumstances. But the desperation of the circumstance has forced their hand to try things. Now, I'll fully admit, I think Gaz is looking for any excuse to do some of these things. And, you know, this is just that happens to be a coincidence of timing for him. But I think for some of the other characters, um, you know, the, the, the fact that Gaz can talk them into doing these things, it's, again, it speaks to their, their own morality of they probably wouldn't do it under normal circumstances, but they don't have jobs and they need a few bucks. And, and if things come together like Gaz is selling it to them, this could be a, a huge payday that potentially could allow them to put their lives back on track. So it's sort of the, the ends justify the means in some cases. But you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff he does that are just like, you know, there's no real excuse. And desperate or not, there are better ways to to do some of these things. Exactly. And I get what you're saying. But like if he'd just been sympathetic, if he just accepted that temp job to raise the money and not stolen his kids money, if he'd not, as, you know, exposed his kid to criminal behavior, like maybe, maybe then, you know, he'd have been in a situation that you'd root for him. And those other sort of down on their luck guys, this movie could have had such a big heart, but it didn't. It was just a total criminal jerk trying to grift his way through this pathetic life and take his buddies with him. I hated that guy. I didn't, the thing was, I didn't want to see him succeed. I wanted to see him fail. And then right at the end, when, when they're going to do the final show and he gets stage fright, I mean, we're supposed to care. Like the single most unlikable lead character in a movie I've ever seen. Oh, I just tell you, oh, the concept of this movie, like you said, is a good one. Like the, the idea of a bunch of sort of schlubby, unemployed guys that have lost their job at the factory, they decide, hey, you know what we got to do? We're going to start up a male strip show to raise money, you know, from the bored housewives, you know, of this small working class town. Great idea. Great idea for a movie. It's the execution of the movie that fails for me miserably in my mind. Like, how about make them sympathetic? Maybe they lost their job because the factory, you know, it closed the company, moved the plan offshore or something. Then you make the corporation the bad guy. Instead, they make the lead character the bad guy. And the lead character should be a victim of, you know, the bad economy and, you know, something it's completely out of his control. But but it's not, it's not the case here. Each and every shortcoming that this guy has, he brings upon himself. And he continues to do it right to the end of the movie. So, oh, man, I just... I hated him. I hated him. I don't know. I I, I I never felt that strongly against him. I you know, sort of the opposite. I, I did want to root for him. I realized that he may not be the best uh, or most likable guy, but I think there was I've always uh, when I've watched this found that there's enough redeeming quality that it's like, you know, you want to cheer for him, you, especially if he may not be the uh, uh, you know, the most positive role model, but he's the one who's coming up with these crazy ideas which in the end uh they actually come out uh ahead of the game that works they you know the stripping works they make the money they do the show and uh and you know as much as you may not want him to succeed you really do want the other guys to succeed and you know now it's a package deal and uh and that's sort of the way i've always always felt when i've watched it i've never never really had an issue with it i guess it goes back to that scene where you know if, if that was the case you know then the scene where he needs some money to start the thing up and his ex-wife gives him the opportunity to take a, a, a temp job. And nope, I'm not doing that. Instead, he, he goes and, and gets his kid to like give up his money to do it. Like, I don't know. There was just something about that. I don't know. Well, if it's, but, yep. Sorry. So one of the things in the in the movie they established, though, is that he needs the money right away. 
So even if he takes the job, he won't have enough time to earn the money to then use it in the way he wants to use it. He basically, it's going to pass up this opportunity if he doesn't have the money right away. I don't know if it's because of the Cockney accents or the Sheffield dialect or whatever the hell it was. Like maybe I missed some of those things because I'll be honest, I couldn't understand half of what these people were saying. And the things that I didn't understand them say made me hate them because like, I, I couldn't I'm like, I can't understand what you're saying. Oh, by the way, one thing I did notice, I should say my wife noticed. I got to give her full credit here in case she ever listens. The fat guy was Robert Baratheon. Did you notice that? Yeah. I, yeah. So that was one of the things I was going to bring up. Some of the some of the people in this movie were not famous, like capital F famous when the movie came out. But this, given its success, uh, allowed them to to move on to bigger and better things and have uh, certain amounts of success. So you have Robert Carlyle, who I think most people, even if they don't know his name, when they see him, they're going to go, oh, yeah, I know that guy. He went on right after this. He went on to be a villain in a James Bond movie. It was, of course, a crappy James Bond movie. But nonetheless, the Bond movies usually do pretty well. And then he's been on, um, oh, what is it called? Once Upon a Time. It was uh, where he plays Rumpelstiltskin. That, that show was on the air like eight years or something. He was one of the, he was basically the main villain in it. So uh, he, he's gone on to have a pretty good career and he's appeared in a lot of movies along the way. And then uh, uh, Mark Addy, who uh, is uh, he went on to obviously um, um, Baratheon. What's his first name again? Uh, Robert uh, Baratheon. Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Yeah. He was so Game of Thrones. Saying, yeah. Just from last yeah, week's show. So we just talked about <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yeah. Now he again, he was in a sitcom. I can't think of the title of it. Uh, I didn't watch it, but it was one of these ones. Fat husband, skinny wife, couple of kids. Uh, it was on for six, seven, eight years. Uh, so again, he, he did pretty well for himself. And then you have Tom Wilkinson, who Tom played Wilkinson Gerald, the boss. Tom Wilkinson is a great actor. He's yeah, a and he's, actor. he's been in tons of stuff since this. Uh, I mean, not long after this, he was in uh, the first of the new Batman movies with Christian Bale, Batman Begins. Um, he's been in, I was just looking up his uh, his credits here before we uh, we started. He was oh, he's in, been nominated uh, for Oscars before for In the yep. Bedroom and something. He's in the a, Bedroom, yeah. Great, great actor. He's in the, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, uh, and then... Um, yeah, no, he he's been in lots of stuff, and yeah, he's a great actor. So, so you have these uh, these actors who, at the time when they're doing the full Monty, probably have reasonable resumes, but are not necessarily well known internationally. And uh, you know, these top three actors went on to have pretty uh, pretty decent careers, and have probably done very well for themselves. Uh, I'm a, a big fan of like you know like the script and the story and the acting and stuff like that. I saw the second act coming from a mile away. Like he drags his kid into all this criminal stuff. And then all of a sudden his, his kid's not allowed to be around him anymore. Like who writes this crap? What a lazy script, you know? And, and then at the, at the end, like his kid is the one that encourages his dad to, to go out on stage and strip when he has the stage fright or whatever the hell he was doing backstage. <clears throat> like, I don't what, what kind of twisted morality tale is this? And and again, if the movie had a big heart at its center and the, the characters were truly likable and truly down on their luck and doing everything for good reasons, you could have totally played the whole concept for comedy and for laughs. Instead, it's just a total mess. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on a lot of this because I, I really, really enjoyed this movie. And I'm. I, I I can understand your your criticisms of it and uh, and and your point of view on this, but it's it surprises me that you you didn't like it at least a little more than it sounds like you did. No, like um, even that scene when they're coming in the window and they're wearing those red thongs, like, is that supposed to be funny? Because it's not. Like, it made me laugh. I, I couldn't. I just. I I was truly wanting to find comedy in this because I heard. I actually had heard good things about the movie. 
Like you mentioned, it was it was nominated for an Oscar. <clears throat> now, yes, it was 1997. You know, and let's be honest, Titanic was winning that year no matter what. And I, yeah. think, I think everyone knew it. So maybe the Academy just kind of got together and said, okay, what lambs can we lead out to slaughter against Cameron? You know, the full Monty. Well, that sucked. Let's throw it out there. I don't know. Because it was it was Titanic, as good as it gets, the full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, and L.A. Confidential. Like, I mean, you're, you're a huge fan of the Oscars. We talk about the Oscars all the time on this podcast. You're telling me the full Monty was better than Jackie Brown or Boogie Nights? You're telling me Full Monty deserved an Oscar nomination for Best Picture over Boogie Nights? Really? I don't know if I would say it deserved it over that movie, but I certainly agree that it should be in the conversation. Mm, I guess. I guess. I, I don't have any. I don't have any objections to the fact that it got nominated. I like the fact that it got nominated because I think it's a great movie, and I, I think that getting that nomination helped give the give a broader audience a reason to check out this movie. And I think the box office and the critical scores uh, and the longevity of this movie speak to the fact that it, it a lot of people enjoy it. A lot of people it, uh, liked it, found it funny, and uh, and will rewatch. Like I said, I've rewatched this movie over a dozen times, and I'm going to probably watch it a dozen more times uh, in the years to come. There's a lot of stuff in here, a lot of uh, quotable lines, a lot of like little one-off bits. Um, the... the um, the scene where they're in the unemployment office collecting the checks and um, hot stuff comes on the overhead mm-hmm. radio and the guys are sort of doing the little tiny, uh, they're just doing the dance, but just subtle enough that they're not drawing too much attention to themselves. And that scene was in the trailer too. Every time I see that scene, it makes me laugh. It's just, it's, I thought it was just so well done. And it's, uh, it's just when I think of the movie, that's one of the, the, the sort of pivotal scenes that you think of, uh, or at least that I think of when I, when I think of this movie and, uh, it brings me to another point I want to talk about quickly is sure. the the soundtrack. Okay. So what did you think of the music? Well, I thought the music was pretty good. I mean, I liked, uh, uh, like you mentioned, the uh, hot stuff. And then uh, what was the the scene when the the black guy was was dancing? What were they? What was the song they were playing? Oh, it was na 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 na. It was yeah, land of a thousand dances. Na 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 na. And that was remember the WWF guys <clears throat> redid that yes. on the wrestling yeah. album. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. I was like, oh, that's the WWF song when oh. when all those guys did that. So that that made me kind of chuckle a little bit. So I, I had one chuckle in the movie, but it was only because of a WWF reference. Well, and so it's it, that's funny that uh, you bring that up because uh, last weekend my wife and I were outside. We're, we're doing some landscaping outside the house here, and. She's in the backyard. I'm in the front yard. And we have radios going in both front and back because we kept moving back and forth during the course of the day. And please I'm don't tell me yard. you were in a red thong. No, well, no comment. Um, <laughs> OK, <laughs> <laughs> so th- that song comes on the radio and she's in the backyard and I'm in the front yard. And, uh, you know, I, no one's well, I mean, not no one's around. I'm in my front yard. So there are probably some people around. And then I start to do the moves from the full Monty when the guy was doing the audition where he like the song, come on, two, three. And he puts his hand out eh, and then he's like, does the different dances with the thumbs and, and, and he's jumping around and stuff. And I'm doing that whole bit. And then before the song ends, I sort of take a step to the side so I can look in the backyard and there's my wife doing the exact same thing, totally uncoordinated, totally unrehearsed. But the first thing we both thought of when we heard that song was to sort of act out that little scene from the full Monty. And, and I think that's, Again, some of the power of this movie is it has these scenes that that can stick with you and that are memorable and that you enjoy, and uh, and that that to me is just one of those little things. It's like uh, you know, it's um, it's like when you get a movie that has a lot of quotable dialogue, 
And this this movie has a few lines that that get spouted uh, from time to time in my house, but uh, a lot of them are not suitable for podcast replay. <laughs> it's funny, you you know, like there's been many times on this podcast where you have accused me of sort of being the textbook guy, you know, and giving the textbook answers. And this is one where it just doesn't fit because I, I, I fully admit that this movie got good reviews. I remember hearing good things about it. I was like, oh, this movie, you know, it's nominated for Best Picture. Like, you know, there's a lot going on here. What what a great, con- like, again, the concept I think is fantastic. It's a fantastic concept. Just the execution that I hated. I think, uh, I think it was inspired by true events. Like, I, I, I don't think it was literally a true story, but I think it was something like this had happened and the the writer of the script heard about it and, and like you said, went, you know, this is a story that has some potential and then put this together and, and one thing led to another. We got the, the movie The Full Monty. Yeah, and like I say, I remember lots of people talking about it. I remember hearing a buzz at the time about it and then it got nominated. But I just don't buy into it. I just can't. So I'm not textbook in this one. It's funny you mentioned rewatchability. You said you've seen it like a dozen times, you know, maybe parts of it like 20 times. You couldn't pay me to watch this movie again. I just zero redeeming qualities. Zero. The the only sympathetic character in this whole movie was Robert Baratheon's wife. So, yeah. ba- so basically, Cersei Lannister is the most likable person in this movie. <laughs> Speaks volumes, I guess. I don't know. Jeez. And then, like I said, like, I just want to frame this. Like, I'm no prude. Like, I have zero problems with the concept of the film before, you know, anyone gets on Twitter and starts saying, you know, this and that. I, I have I have no problem with the idea of sort of everyday guys doing a strip show to raise money. I, I, I'm not averse to that subject matter anyway. Just the movie's atrocious to me. Yancey used to make me watch these dystopian future movies. And I was just cra- about to say, would cra- you rather watch The Full Monty or Snowpiercer? If you had to watch one mm. of the two again. Yeah, he made me watch a lot of crap like Snowpiercer and The Lobster and all that. I tell you what, I was longing for Lobster after watching this. That's what, 91 minutes of my life that I will never get back. Well, I uh, I got to disagree with you on that one. And because I like Snowpiercer as well. And I was watching <laughs> Interstellar was on TV on the weekend. Yeah, I didn't like well, that one. It either. was on... It was on a loop, like they showed it in the afternoon and they showed it again later at night. I watched part of it when it was on in the afternoon and I watched part of it again when it was on later because that's another movie that I really enjoy that I was surprised you didn't like. Well, I guess at this point in my life, nothing surprises me about what you like and don't like. (laughs) I'm so um, unpredictable, I guess. I don't know. I just, I guess, uh, I guess the thing is like, I like what I like and it is what it is, but I, I also, I, I guess I've always sort of gravitated toward movies and films that, that have characters that. I don't know. They just reach out to me in some way. Like, yeah, you can, whether, whether I don't even say it's identifying with those characters because that's not even it, but sympathizing with the characters, strong characters, well acted characters. And this movie just, it just didn't do it for me. I don't know. Wow. Okay. Uh, so if you had to give this a, a letter grade, mm-hmm. are you giving it a, a hard F or, uh, do they or get, did it have enough to yeah. get a, a barely a passing grade from you? What would you give it? Do they give out Z's? Uh, no, they do not. Then I guess I would give it an F. I did not wow. like it. I hated this movie. I really, wow. and, and, and to be honest, even after the first half hour, I'm like, it's boring. So it was, but, but it, more than that to me, it like, it was offensive and it wasn't offensive. Like I say, in the way that you think that it would be offensive, like, oh, you're offended by this movie because there's male strippers. Not at all. Again, I'm not approved. That's not what the situation is. I'm offended by the character, the lead character. Lead character just put me off this movie. I didn't like the actor. I didn't like the way it was written. I didn't like... He has zero redeeming qualities. 
And it could have been so good. I was so disappointed because I'm like, what a great concept for a movie. What an absolutely fantastic concept for a movie that just died. I don't know. And again, I, I, I know I'm wrong because lots of other people like this movie. Not just you. You know, it was nominated for Best Picture for crying out loud. I'm, I'm just missing the boat on it, I guess. But that's my take. That's what I feel. And so I got to be honest and true to myself. So it is what All it right. is. All right. Well, I guess after. Uh, so so Iron Man you liked. I had a winner with that one. Yes. And, uh, Iron Man I liked. Back, now we're back to uh, the typical typical answer where i recommend a movie that i really enjoyed and you don't like it at all so i'm glad to see that uh, some things just return back to normal right away (laughs) exactly so on that note what do you say we have some fun with caveman okay so this movie's called the full monty obviously but obviously we don't actually see the full monty no we do not not that i'm complaining you know mind you but the thing is there's been lots of nudity in movies over the years Heck, the movies from the 70s and 80s were chock full of nudity, right? Well, we just did Fast Times at Richmond High. Like, exactly. That's one of the most uh, recognizable, famous nude scenes in 80s Ever. movies. Ever, you know, in the history of, of film almost. And But the thing is, one aspect of nudity, though, that's always been a bit of a taboo is male nudity. You know? Yep. Like, it really, really is. And it's a terrible double standard. It really, it, yeah, I guess it really is. Because, like I say, those movies from the 70s and 80s, there was female nudity sometimes you'd see everything you know and uh, but male nudity it's just it that's the taboo right and so like i say even though it's it's called the full monty we don't we don't see the full monty so it got me thinking there's not a lot of examples of the full monty in pop culture so i got some trivia for you cave man and we're gonna start right. we're gonna start with this one okay now although he did not show the full monty what hollywood icon posed nude in a 1972 issue of Cosmopolitan magazine. Do you know the answer? Uh, well, I was going to say Burt Reynolds, but I want to say he, his was Playgirl. So what was the year again? 1972. Cosmopolitan ah. magazine. Didn't show the full Monty, but he did pose nude in the centerfold. Let's say Robert Redford. No, you were right the first time. It was Burt no, it was Reynolds. It made him a star oh. overnight, too, him doing that. I thought it was a Playgirl that that, that was... No, actually, actually, Burt Reynolds posing in Cosmopolitan magazine in the centerfold led to the creation of Playgirl magazine. Yeah, it, it was okay. so popular that that's what happened. Uh, okay, so Jason Siegel. Yep. Uh, he played a scene with Kristen Bell for laughs in the opening scene of this 2008 comedy where he showed the full Monty. Yep. Can you name the film? I can. It's called Forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> You are correct. Congratulations. Have, um, have you seen that movie, Chris? I have. I have. And, and, and let me guess. You hated it and would never watch it again. Not I, because of the nudity, but because you didn't like any of the humor. No, actually, I thought it was okay. The thing I didn't like about that movie was Russell Brand. I oh, yeah. No, I can't stand that. I did not like that guy in that movie at all. Okay. So Kevin Bacon showed the full Monty in this 1998 erotic thriller, which also starred Denise Richards and Nev Campbell. What's the name of the movie where Kevin shows off his strip of bacon? Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> <laughs> wow, bad one, kid. Yeah. Um, that was called Wild Things. Yes, it was. Like it was say. a very popular rental when I was at Blockbuster. Yes, Nev Campbell, good Canadian girl. 
She was one degree from Kevin Bacon. Uh, I, I guess. think, if I remember correctly, she actually didn't have any nudity in that movie. But, no, but no. the others, the other two stars did. Yeah, yeah. Well, us Canadians, you know, we're pretty, you know, modest in that regard. Okay, <clears throat> this cop TV show ran from 1993 until 2005, and although it never showed the full Monty, it often featured the nude backsides of its stars, including David Caruso. And Dennis Franz. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little on that one. Ooh, Dennis Franz. <laughs> Getting me hot under the collar. Um, can you name the I, TV show? Yes, I can. I, I've never seen a single episode of it, but I'm pretty sure it was called NYPD Blue. It was. I've never seen an episode of it either. Okay, Richard Gere. This is a guy that's been making movies for a long time. But his first leading role required him to show the full body. What is the name of the 1980 movie which featured Richard Gere as an expensive escort to lonely rich women? I have no idea. Oh, wow. It's American Gigolo. I thought you would get that one. No, but never yeah. seen it. Not a fan of Richard Gere. I, I, I don't really know his, uh, his back catalog. Oh, and George I've, heard of, I've heard of it, but I, of uh, American Gigolo, but I've never seen it. Yeah, and Georgia Moroder's music, and it was so good. That's what called me. The song Call Me with Blondie came from it. No, no. Not a big fan of Blondie, so. Oh, man. That's two strikes. I don't think I'll be watching that movie. All right. Uh, In the 1994 film The Color of Night, what Armageddon actor showed the full Monty? Color of Night? Yep. Armageddon actor. The only one of those actors I can think was working in 1994 would probably have been Bruce Willis. So I'm going to say Bruce Willis. That is correct. Bruce Willis did show the full Monty in The Color of Night. Don't know that movie, Color of Night. I'll look it up. Yeah, I guess if you want to see Bruce Willis there. Um, in the 2014 film Gone Girl, this other Armageddon actor showed the full Monty. Who was the actor? Uh, well, I know Ben Affleck was in Gone Girl, so I'm going to say Ben Affleck. That is correct. All right. I'm not sure. I think I might have seen. I'm not sure if I've seen that movie or not, Gone Girl. Mm. Don't think so. Is that the one where the wife fakes her death? Sorry. Spoiler. Is that yeah, the one where the wife fakes her death? I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen it either. So uh, building on this, what third Armageddon actor almost showed the full Monty in a scene with Halle Berry in 2001's Monsters Ball? Uh, oh, um, uh, Billy Bob Thornton. That is correct. And like I said, you don't see the full Monty in that scene, but let's just say you see the monster's ball. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. Oh, uh, you're, you're really pulling out your uh, oh. your A-material dad jokes here tonight, yeah, Chris. I, I guess, God, I'm lame. Uh, okay, so Armageddon was a very seminal film for actors that show the full Monty, apparently. Owen Wilson was in Armageddon, but he's never showed the full Monty, so... I guess he doesn't need to because his nose looks like the full Monty. So there's always that. Um, uh, okay, so Derek, can you name the 1999 film that featured Jude Law showing the full Monty? No, I cannot. It was the talented Mr. Ripley. Really? He gets naked in that? Yes, he does. He steps out of the bathtub and you see the full Monty. Bonus marks if you can name the actor that was in the scene with him when he shows the full Monty. Well, I know the rest of the cast that was in that movie, 
but I don't remember that scene. So I'm going to say it was probably another guy, in which case it would have been Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. It was, it was Matt Damon, definitely. One of your favorite actors. And, he and is we, one of my favorites. And we get that drop in there, so that's always good. Of course. So anyway, so that's it. That's like I'm glad we were to kind of able to turn things around and have some fun with the full Monty. That's for sure because I, I I didn't enjoy the movie, but but the trivia section was kind of fun, even though I you know my lame dad jokes aside. Okay, so I tell you what, for next show, and I know we're gonna take a week off, so we'll be back in two yep. weeks. But I want to go back and watch a Gen X movie, and as you probably know. I absolutely love Mel Brooks. We did Blazing Saddles way back on episode 35. Yeah. So if, yep. you li- if you like that movie, go back and give episode 35 a listen. But for our next show, we're going to go back in time to 1987. And we're going to talk all about the science fiction comedy known as Spaceballs. Nice. I love that movie. And I hope you will too i'm sure you've seen it so uh i tell you what if, if you enjoy the movie make sure and join me and derek on next show and we're going to talk all about space balls derek like i say we're going to take a week off so we'll come back and talk space balls in two weeks time you'll be ready to go for sure awesome well i hope you have a great time on your vacation my friend enjoy yourself at your uh, at your convention you have to send me some uh, some pictures and uh, tell me if if you're able to get uh, escape from the death star down there and find any uh any, anybody play that game with you, that'd be kind of cool. Indeed, I will. And for anyone who's interested, I will be uh, posting uh, status updates while I'm away. Whenever I do these sort of nerdy cons, I always uh, I always post on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, if this sounds like something you might be interested in uh, or you want to know a little more about, just uh, check out my Twitter uh, Twitter feed at Amaron underscore DM through the next week. Uh, the convention begins on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday. What's the date on Wednesday? The 12th, the 13th? I think it's I think it's the twelfth, yeah. Wednesday the twelfth, yeah. yeah. So the con runs from June twelfth to June sixteenth. So, um, yeah, check it out and uh, leave me a comment. Let me uh, let me know if there's anything going on that you want to know about, or if you want to know anything more about what I'm doing, or uh, if you're just genuinely interested. Uh, certainly, give me a shout out. Well, so there you go. You can follow, follow tw- uh, uh, Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You can follow me at C McBrien. And again, popcozyworld.com is the website. But until next show, when we're going to cover space balls, should be lots of fun. Uh, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 